0: It's great to be back with you all again for a second week. Uh, like Drew just mentioned, Matt and his family are on their way back from the beach and should uh, be back next week, Lord willing. Uh, they, Matt's going to start a sermon series through First Corinthians uh, that's going to take us to the end of the year, and I mention that again just because if you have a chance to read through it this week, I think it would certainly benefit you uh, as we start that study together. Today we're going to be drinking from the cool refreshing river that is God's word. We're going to plunge our faces in and quench our thirst on the six verses that are Psalm 23. What we're going to find is a soul-refreshing song that has spoken to generations of Christians through their most difficult moments. We're going to hear the confidence and trust that comes from knowing a personal God who is our shepherd. And so if you are feeling down this morning, you're feeling guilty or you're suffering, then this psalm is for you because it will restore your soul. And if you're feeling complacent this morning, like your spiritual life is asleep, like you wish you were living for God, then this psalm is for you because it's going to reawaken your soul to the spiritual fulfillment that comes from knowing a personal God who is your shepherd. And if you are rejoicing this morning and your lips are filled with praise, then this psalm is for you because it will give you words to honor the most holy God. And I think the most difficult thing for us this morning is going to be familiarity. Everybody's supposed to know Psalm 23. Right? Growing up, I heard it in funerals and that was it. So I have this vague sense of it being like, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Sorry. And then something about a cup overflowing, right? And so I think that each of us probably have some preconceived notions about what this psalm is. And what I'm going to invite you to do is to shake those off for the next 40 minutes with us and try and look with fresh eyes at the promises of God to see how they apply to your life. So if you've found Psalm 23, I invite you to stand in honor of God's word as we read it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. is a remarkable statement that begins Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's a statement of total satisfaction, total contentment, total assurance that what you have is what you need. I don't need anything else. I don't want anything else besides what the shepherd has given me. I like the translation from the NIV here. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. God will supply all my needs. I don't want anything because the Lord is my shepherd. Because if the Lord is really my shepherd, then how could I want anything else? And I think that statement begs of us right away this morning to ask ourselves, are we consistently and fundamentally satisfied in God? Are we consistently and fundamentally content with where God is leading us? Or are you dissatisfied with God? Do you trust him enough to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? And what we're going to spend our time on this morning is understanding that statement, understanding what it looks like to trust God and why we can trust God. Now, in your sermon outline, I've given you a few points. You're going to forgive me if I give you a few more to help guide through here. The two overarching questions that we're going to ask are, what does it look like to trust God, and why can we trust God? And we'll hit each of the things in the sermon outline in series. As we begin, it's important to know that this psalm has one driving principle. The Lord is my shepherd. It's a topic sentence. How many of you had English teachers who really harped on topic sentences? Thank you. I got tired of them. But the idea is that when you write a paragraph, or are an English teacher that harps on topic sentences. Sorry. Right. They're really good. They're important. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the idea is that each paragraph has a main idea, and then everything else supports that one idea. And that's what we have here at the beginning of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's the main point. We just need to understand that. And then all the rest of the five verses help us understand that one point. And so we start by recognizing this idea of trust that's in I shall not want, I shall shall lack nothing, is rooted in the relationship that we have with our shepherd. It's rooted in a dependence on God as our shepherd. See the word shepherd? It's the most intimate relationship in the Psalter, in all of the Psalms. We're used to hearing of God as our king and as our rock, as our deliverer, as our shield. But here, David, who was a shepherd himself, says, The Lord is my shepherd. We're his sheep, to take the metaphor a little further. We depend on him for provision. The Psalm says for grass and for water. We depend on him for direction. We're not sure sure which mountain pass to take. We depend on him for protection because the wolves are coming to eat us. We depend on him for everything we need. Just as we are his sheep, he is our shepherd. And there's a certain kind of love that comes from a shepherd, one that is willing to give us everything we need to fight off the wolves, to put his life on the line for us. It's a I'm-not-going-anywhere kind of love. It's a you're my responsibility kind of love. It's a I know you're lost without me kind of love. And so this statement, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing, has at its foundation the truth that the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I will lack nothing. This house of trusting God is built on the foundation of the shepherd, on whom we depend for everything that we need. So then, who does it say is our shepherd? In whom should we trust? Yahweh. Yahweh is who we should trust. Anytime you're reading the Bible and you see the Lord written in all capital letters, that tells you that you're reading about Yahweh. Now, if you're new to the Bible or that name isn't familiar to you, it's important to know that in the Bible... God has different names. Each of these names is given to us by God to understand him in a different way. So much bigger than we could ever conceive of in our limited minds that we have to have different ways of thinking about him to understand a complete picture of him. And this word Yahweh brings to mind some incredible things. In, it's really used all the way through the Old Testament as early as Genesis, but the, the picture that comes to my mind is the burning bush conversation with Moses in Exodus. You know, ex, uh, Moses is going back, or God is calling Moses after a period of exile to go back into Egypt and to say to Pharaoh, Let my people go. And Moses says to God, Who should I say sent me? And God says, I am who I am. That's what Yahweh means. I am who I am. Now, if this is new to you, I am not going to be able to unpack it for us this morning. I'm sorry. The thing about I am who I am is the more you say about it, the more confused you get. Right? I heard one pastor say, it's kind of like talking to somebody in a foreign language. If you just speak louder, they don't really understand you any better. right?" So I am who I am requires deep meditation. And if that's new to you this morning, I invite you to go back and read Exodus chapter three and come talk with me about it later. I'd love to talk with you about it. But if it's familiar to you, then what you need to hear is that I am who I am is my shepherd. And the relevant points about that, the things that we need to take away from this name of God are that he is eternal. He has no beginning and he has no end. He is self-existent. He doesn't depend on anyone for his being. He is unchanging. Everything that He has ever been, He will always be. The person in whom we trust as our shepherd is Yahweh. He is I am. He is the eternal, self existent, self sufficient God. And there's one more word that brings it home in this sentence The Lord is my shepherd. It is a deeply personal statement. How could an infinite God be a personal shepherd? It is a remarkable thing. You know, we rely on people to guide us all the time. We rely on the President of the United States to make decisions about us, right, what's best for our country. But he doesn't know you. He doesn't know what's best for you. He's guiding the country as a whole. It is Incredible to think that God is our shepherd. Charles Spurgeon, a great pastor from a while ago, said this. It doesn't say that the Lord is the shepherd of the world at large and leadeth forth the multitude as his flock, but the Lord is my shepherd. If he is a shepherd to no one else, he is a shepherd to me. He cares for me, watches over me, and preserves me. The words are in the present tense. Whatever is the believer's position. He is even now under the pastoral care of Yahweh. And so the Lord is my shepherd is a statement of an infinite God who puts himself in a personal relationship with us where we are totally dependent on everything and he agrees to provide for us everything we could ever need because the Lord is my shepherd. I will lack nothing. And the rest of the psalm is understanding that. The rest of the psalm is unpacking those two truths. And we're going to start by looking at three examples of what it looks like to not be in want, what it looks like for God to supply our needs, what it looks like to trust the Lord. And those come in verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Then again in verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And then again in verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And the key point to each of these examples is that our trust and our commitment come through our relationship with the shepherd. It's because he is with us that we can trust in him. It is because of his nature that we can trust in him. Look to verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Let me just say, this is a beautiful image of contentment. Just like a sheep who has green pastures and still waters, so too Yahweh provides abundantly for everything we need. He hasn't overlooked a single thing that we need to live lives of happy fulfillment. But it's not just in the green pasture in which we take our contentment. It's in the shepherd himself. For a sheep to lie down, do you see that? He makes me lie down in green pastures. For a sheep to lie down, he has to not be anxious. There can be no worry, no fear. It's a picture of total rest and trust. And if a sheep wanders into this green field by accident where there's a great river that's calm, the sheep isn't going to lie down. It's going to be nervous because the shepherd isn't there with him. And so the picture of contentment that we see is first and foremost because the shepherd is with us so we can lie down. We can rest. We don't have to worry because the shepherd has brought us here. He has brought us to these green pastures, to these rivers that are easy to drink from. I don't know if you're like me or not, but when I read read these promises of God, I tend to doubt them pretty quickly. I backpedal really fast. I'm a yes-but person. I don't know if you're a yes-but person. Yeah, he can give us the green pastures, but I know it's not always like that, so... You know, we're going to get to the valley of the shadow of death in a minute, okay? We're going to talk about when it's not like a green pasture, but right now we need to revel in the truth of what it looks like to be content with God. Don't backpedal from it. Run into it. Consider it. Reflect it. Consider that God promises to give you in your life the equivalent of green pastures and still waters for a sheep. He's not going to abandon you there. He's going to lead you there so you can lie down and rest. Then let's take a second and look at the next part of this example. He restores my soul. This is actually a surprisingly difficult verse to connect with. Because I think it could mean a lot of different things. So let me tell you what I think it means. Because I want it. Don't you want it? I want God to restore my soul. So I think it's important that we understand what it means. The first is let's understand it in the context of the shepherd and sheep analogy. I have no sheep skills. I've told you several weeks in a row. I'm a city boy, so I don't really understand sheep or chaff or anything like that. But apparently sheep can fall on their backs. And when they fall on their backs, they're as good as dead. Their legs are caught up in the air, their, uh, the circulation gets caught up, something weird with gases in their stomach happens, and they die. And so this statement of the Lord restores my soul in the shepherd and sheep analogy is the shepherd coming and taking the sheep who's dead on its back or as good as dead on its back and turning it right side over. And that's what he's saying he's going to do for our souls. That God is going to take us when we are spiritually dead and turn us right side up again. I think that it, though, is referring to those of us who already are among his flock, those of us who already trust in him, those of us who believe in him. It's acknowledging our tendency not to trust in God all the time, to feel the pull of wanting other things, things that we think are more important, things that are not what God has given us. You know, um, D.A. Carson, who's a respected biblical scholar, says, isn't it true that everyone who is among the flock of God at some point is going nowhere in our spiritual lives? Isn't it true that we are distracted by lust or chained by love of money or captive to the pride of position or bound by recognition? Isn't it true that we wander into those things? And what the psalm is saying, is when you trust in those things, when you wander to trust in those, you are like a sheep who is on its back. You are as good as dead. And what I think is really beautiful about that image is that when I'm caught on my back in my spiritual life, when I am as good as dead, I keep fighting. I keep struggling to turn myself back over. And if you have ever been in one of those spiritual dry places, or have you ever been discouraged by sin, then you know just trying harder isn't good enough. It's just not. I have been there time and time again, and I can tell you, I cannot generate enough to get the spiritual renewal that this psalm is talking about. Instead, what it says is when you are dead on your back and you cannot get turned over, you need God to come turn you over. You need God to come pick you up, and the fact of the matter is he is your shepherd So he is constantly looking at the flock to see who's turned over. A good shepherd is sitting there constantly counting because if he's missing one, he needs to go and find it because it's probably on its back, as good as dead. The other thing that I think is beautiful about this image is that when the sheep is turned over, don't you think he loves the shepherd a little bit more? Don't you think when you are in the depths of despair and you have tried everything to come out of it, and God comes and picks you up and turns you over? Don't you think you love him a little bit more? Don't you realize, I know what it's like to trust myself. I'm as good as dead, and I couldn't get turned back over. But God, thank you for turning me over. Doesn't that draw you to love him more? And so I think that we're drawn to love God who is our shepherd, both when we rest contently in the green pastures and the still waters, in his abundant provision, but we're also drawn to love him more when he restores our soul from our own tendency to unrest. And I just want to take a side minute here and encourage you to ask God for this. If you are dry or desperate, when was the last time you said to God, God, restore my soul? When was the last time you asked him for it? God, I am as good as dead. Will you please come turn me right side up again? When you go home today, take a minute and pray for that for yourself. So we now move to the second example of what it looks like to trust God. In verse 4, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's kind of the opposite of the green pastures, I think. It's the opposite of resting in green pastures and laying down. You are no longer in that comfortable field. You are in the valley of the shadow of death. And God promises to be with you even then. I think God promises to be with us all the times in between, too. So by using the two um, sort of bookends, he reminds us that he's going to be with us even in those worst of circumstances. And what does it say? When you're in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Two things to notice. First, the psalmist changed from he to you, didn't he? He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And now you are with me. God gets closer the darker it is. That's the first thing you need to know. God gets closer the darker it is. And the other thing is, he promises not to abandon you. This makes sense to us, doesn't it? You know, when I think the valley of the shadow of death, I'm thinking Oklahoma this week. I'm thinking being caught in a storm cellar with the door that opened up and a Category 4 tornadoes coming at you. That's the valley of the shadow of death. And what do we say to those people when they come out and they're ready to rebuild? We say, don't worry, we won't forget about you. We say, don't worry, I'm going to drop what I'm doing and I'm going to come help you. You're not going to be alone in this. I think that is intuitively makes sense to us. We don't want to be alone when we're going through a difficult time, right? And what God is promising is that he is going to be with you where nobody else can go with you. Nobody else can go with you through death. I can't go with my wife to death. I can't do it. Nobody can go there with you, but God will. That's the promise. And when he goes with you, you don't have to fear You know, this image of your rod and your staff, they comfort me, never really made sense to me before. A rod is a shepherd's tool to beat off wolves. And a staff is like the little bo-peep thing that grabs sheep and pulls them back, right? No sheep skills, right? Sorry. (laughs) I'm sure God's staff is better than little bo-peeps, I don't know. But um, that's what happens when you go off script. Uh, So the idea, though, is that God in our darkest moment is going to protect us from the threat of evil? He's going to beat off the wolves that are coming at us, and He's going to protect us from ourselves. We are not going to get lost. We are not going to wander off. He is going to pull us back. He's going to be with us, and He's going to protect us. That's the promise when you walk into the valley of the shadow of death. And let me tell you, as a doctor, I have seen this. I have seen death, and it is not pretty. When people die, they suffer. We do everything we can to stop it, but death is ugly. And people are afraid. People who don't hope in God are afraid. And so the promise that God will not abandon us in that moment is no greater promise than I could ever think of. God, I will not fear because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, a few years ago, two of our friends had a child who was in the pediatric intensive care unit. He'd stopped breathing, and we were pretty worried that he was going to die. And when I went to see them, they couldn't even look at me. They couldn't even look at me. They were in such desperation. They were in such despair. Now, thankfully, their son has gotten better and is doing well. And no problems from it. And when I asked them afterwards, what was it like? What did you go through? They said that they had never felt the presence of God more closely than at those moments. They couldn't even look at me, but God was with them. That's the testimony of this verse, trusting in God completely because he will not abandon you in your greatest hour of need. He will be with you. It's important to see, much like last week, that God is not promising that the evil will go away yet. He is not saying that death is going to stop yet. It will one day. When Jesus comes again, we won't have to experience this anymore. But in the meantime, this evil is still going to be present. And God, Yahweh, the all-powerful, the self-existent, never-changing I am, says, I will be with you. The next metaphor is in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, what may surprise you if you have some familiarity with this psalm is that I think, the and many people think, that the metaphor actually changes here from one of a shepherd and a sheep to a host and a house guest. Right? So God is a host who's preparing a table before us the guest. Now, there's some disagreement here among the scholars, and so if you are a die-hard shepherd person who thinks that the shepherd is the metaphor that goes all the way through, that's okay. I don't think the meaning of the psalm changes. But it makes more sense to me if I understand it like a host and a house guest. And what a picture of intimacy and abundance is this. Yahweh is inviting us to his home, And he prepares before us a feast. And not only that, when we walk in, he anoints our head with oil. I don't really connect with that because I've never had my head anointed with oil. But think of it as refreshment. Think of it as being done to the most honored guest. Think of it like a hot towel when you walk into someone's home after a long journey. He is anointing you, anointing your head, refreshing you. You are his most honored guest. And he invites you at a table where it's a victory celebration and he gives you a cup that overflows. What a picture of abundance is that? I don't think it's by mistake that it comes after the valley of the shadow of death. I think we're supposed to remember that when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, this is where we're headed. We're headed to God's house. We're headed to his house where there's a table set before us, where we are going to enjoy rest and peace and abundance. Now, what's impressive to me about this is when I go over to someone's house, it's not the food that I love. I mean, the food is good. God's food in the cup, that's going to be good, right? Or the stuff he pours you, that's going to be good. But you love the host. You don't love the food. When I go over to someone's house, I'm thankful that they went out of their way for me. I'm thankful that they prepared a table. I'm honored because of what they did for me. So when we go to God's home, we're drawn to love God more because of what he's done for us. And so I think each of these images, the grass and the water, the shadow of death, eating at the table, each of these pictures a deep satisfaction, our ability to trust that if God is our shepherd, we will lack nothing because he is with us, because he has promised to be our shepherd. He will not abandon us. That is why we will lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so the next question we ask ourselves is why? Why can we trust God? That's an important question, isn't it? Why can we trust him? And to answer that, we're going to get to verse, the second part of verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So first let me explain what this means in the sheep and shepherd metaphor. This means that the sheep doesn't know how to get where it's going that it can't remember where the pasture was, that it was yesterday, and it needs the shepherd to say, no, no, actually take the road to the left. That's going to get you where you're going, right? For us, it means God is going to lead us in ways that are pleasing to him. God God is going to take us where we need to go. He's going to help us know whether we go to the left or to the right, whether we take that job, whether we marry that person, I mean, get serious. Whatever question you have in your life, this is what God is saying. He's going to lead you in paths that please him. But it doesn't say how. This psalm is not concerned with the how he's going to do it. That is for another time. So if you have a big decision and you want to know how God gives you practical wisdom, come on up afterwards. We'll talk about it. What this says is that God will lead you In ways that honor him, and it tells you why. For his name's sake, because his reputation is on the line. Let's go back to the sheep for a minute. Sheep are stupid, they don't know anything. And so if they fall off a cliff, it's not their fault, it's the shepherd's fault. The townspeople don't shake their head at the sheep and say, Oh, those stupid sheep. They say, What a bad shepherd, right? What a bad shepherd. He lost all those sheep. And so what God is doing is he's stating his reputation on our righteousness. He is dedicated to it because he wants people to love and cherish him. He wants people to set themselves apart for him. And he will do it because his name is at stake. His reputation is on the line. That's why he leads us. The other reason that we can trust God to do it, is because he has already done it. You know, the, ver- the image of the shepherd is one that's developed all the way through the rest of the Bible. And Jesus, in John chapter 10, says this. I'm going to read you some of it. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them, And scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Living on this side of Jesus, we can read the six verses of Psalm 23 and be reminded that Jesus called himself the good shepherd. He surely had in mind Psalm 23 when he was speaking those verses in, in John chapter 10. And he identified himself as the shepherd who was willing to give his life up for the sheep. And in that knowledge, we have enormous trust, enormous assurance. Because he did it. Because Jesus died and was resurrected. He gave up his life for the sheep. He already did it. He proved his worth. How could we possibly question anything else he says if he went to the cross for us? I'm the good shepherd who gives up his life for the sheep. You know, people who say that, you kind of got to, really? Are you really going to give up your life? Do you really mean that? Are you going to die for your sheep? I mean, it's just one sheep, let him go. Why would you die for that one sheep? Don't question Jesus' resolve. He went to the cross and he died for you. And so too will he give you everything else you need. We can have confidence in him because he died for us. We can have confidence that he will know us and we will know him from John chapter 10. He will call to us and we will follow him. That no one will ever snatch us out of his hand. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear because you are with me. I will fear no evil, and you will restore my soul. Romans 8, 32 gets at this point. It says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You can trust that God will be your good shepherd because he already has died for you. There is no greater assurance than that. And just as Romans 8 ends with a beautiful refrain that nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus, so too Psalm 23 ends with this beautiful doxology that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, the thing is that this promise is available to you. This is our shepherd, after all. He is not the shepherd of some great nation. He is your shepherd. And so when you trust in him and believe in him and call on the name of Jesus to be saved, then this promise applies to you. He will be your shepherd. It doesn't matter where you were yesterday. It doesn't matter if you've said you've been a Christian for 20 years but in your heart you really wonder. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. Turn to Christ today, right now. Trust in him, and he will be your shepherd. He will not abandon you. And surely, goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So trust in God because he is. Trust in him because he is your shepherd. Trust in him because he has staked his reputation on you. Trust in him because he has already given his son to die for us. Trust in him, and you will lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Amen. Will you pray with me? Oh, Father, we so desperately want this to be true. We so desperately want you to be our shepherd, and we want to be your sheep. We need our, store, our souls to be restored, God. We are upside down. Our souls are dry, and we need you to restore them. And, God, we are afraid that when we walk through the sh- valley of the shadow of death, you won't be there. So, God, help us to trust in you that you will do what you have said, that just as you have sent your son to die, you will not abandon us in our time of need. Help us to trust in you for everything. For you are our rock and our redeemer and our shepherd. Amen.